Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show on BYU Radio that is all about shining a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. My name is Jeff Simpson. And my name is Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week on BYU Radio at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, every Saturday. And uh, you can also log on to BYUradio.org. You can also Google Screen Cleaning Podcast to find all of our previous episodes. We've got a bunch of good ones, and today is going to be another great one. Because, Cole, it seems like during this summer where movies aren't coming out... Uh, People are reflecting on movies past. You're seeing in the movie theaters, you're seeing a lot of older movies that are coming back to theaters. And you have the chance once again to see a movie on the big screen that maybe you haven't seen since you were a kid or you're seeing for the first time. So we are actually going to be looking back, not on great original movies, but actually movies that were sequels that might even be better than the original. And today's episode itself is a sequel to an episode we did a couple of years ago where we talked about superior remakes in movies. Um, we're hoping that this sequel is also better than the original. Yes, I think it will be, Cole. I think oh, I'm ready. We've got a bigger budget. Um, As you usually do. Though... The stakes are higher. Absolutely. Well, let's start off by talking about the very best in entertainment news from the last week. Well, let's just get the uh, let's just get the unfortunate piece of news out of the way, not because it's bad news, but mainly because it's it's totally expected news. Right. Yeah. I seem to recall two weeks ago when we announced that Tenant was moving back two weeks, me saying on this program, on the radio for all to hear. Two weeks is not long enough, right? Two weeks is just setting us up for in a couple weeks announcing that it's going to be moving back again, and they're just sucking our time. They're they're making us talk about it, and that's how they're going to continue to drive hype. And here we are two weeks later announcing that Tenant is moving back its release date to when, Jeffrey? Two weeks further to August 12th. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so where do you think we'll be in a month? Probably to 2021, I'm guessing. <laughs> Anyway, well, that's interesting because movie theaters are starting to reopen, as we said, and and yet movies, new movies are not coming out to fill these theaters, but they still need to make money and they still need to make sure that people feel safe going back to the movie theater. So another thing that we talked about that uh, has changed since last week is for the for the bulk of the movie theaters, they had decided that they were not going to enforce their guests wearing masks at the theaters. And now it turns out that there's really only one major theater chain that is a holdout on that, which is Cinemark. All those other theaters that said that they were not going to require their theater patrons to wear masks. Yeah, they've all changed their minds. <laughs> so Regal, AMC, if you go to one of those movie theaters, just know that you will be required to wear a mask. And this is news that we felt uh, that we needed to announce here on the show because it was only about five minutes after we finished recording last week saying that AMC (laughs) was not requiring it that we found out that AMC is, in fact, requiring it. So only trust us for, you know, that time when you're listening because the things in the movie industry, especially right now, they change fast. That's right. But it wouldn't be a good sequel without a good twist, right, Cole? Ooh, I like it. So speaking of returnings, 
I'm excited that, uh, you know, I already knew that Cobra Kai, one of my favorite shows on TV, or at least YouTube TV for mm-hmm. the time being, will get us another season. So we knew that it was going to get a season three. What we did not know, and here's that twist, Cole, is that it is moving to Netflix for season three. So all of those previous seasons you'll be able to access on Netflix. But then here's another twist. Part of that uh, part of that show moving to Netflix means that they no longer have their most popular show on YouTube TV. So you could read that as they're jumping ship. And certainly that's what's happening because YouTube TV is getting out of the scripted series business. They want to focus on non-scripted series and documentaries. And, you know, everybody goes to YouTube to watch funny, silly videos. But they will no longer be doing scripted series. For that, you'll need to go to Netflix. Or any of the many other streaming platforms. I think this might be a smart move for YouTube business-wise because content is king. And there's a race to see which, you know, HBO, Peacock, Netflix, they're, they're all trying, Amazon Prime, they're all, and Hulu, and, you know, there's so, so many. They're all trying to come up with as many originals as possible and just churn them out there. YouTube TV is the first one to sit back and say, hey, we're just going to get back into kind of the cable business of you know, curating all of your channels and give and presenting them to you as opposed to trying to compete with everyone else to make originals all the time, at least the scripted ones, right? The more expensive ones. Yeah, but I will be signing up again for Netflix just for season three of Cobra Kai whenever that may come out. Jeff, you've been mentioning things coming back, and the coolest news I saw this week is that for the first time since 1993, Jurassic Park is the number one movie at the box office in lieu of any 2020 releases, as you say, uh, and as I I did a couple weeks ago to go see an older movie in the theater, uh, the one that took home the box office crown for the week is Jurassic Park, because of course you want to see that one on the big screen, the big dinosaurs that maybe look better than they do even with the big budgets of those Jurassic sequels, Uh, the original was back at the top. Do you know how much money it made at the movie theaters over the weekend, Cole? Uh, I have no guess. It took a giant bite out of the box office this weekend, Cole, because it earned over a half a million dollars in 230 on 230 screens. That's not bad. That's amazing. And Jaws was right behind it with just over a half a million dollars at 187 locations so that actually did better per screen if you think about it but they're both steven spielberg movies i think the guy knows how to make a blockbuster cole what do you think yeah the one that i went to see just because it had been longer and i don't have it sitting on my shelf at home was indiana jones and the last crusade unsurprisingly a spielberg movie yep for a minute when you said 1993 i was waiting for you to say 1992 Because something else is happening for the first time since 1992, and it has something to do with a caped crusader? You bet it does. Look, it's a bird! It's a plane! Uh, It's this week in DC News. Michael Keaton will be donning the cowl once again to portray Batman on the big screen. That was this week in DC News. 
Wait, who? What? Wh- Michael Why? Keaton Cole. of Batman and Batman Returns fame, and then, you know, quite a few other movies, will be Batman yet again in a DC movie. Now, this is not in The Batman or whatever they're calling the one with Robert Pattinson. This is in future in-universe movies. Michael Keaton will be playing an older kind of mentor, gatherer of the team, uh, that kind of a Batman. Really, I, I think this is going in the direction of the Batman Beyond TV show where old gruff Bruce Wayne was kind of commanding this young group of heroes uh, from, you know, his comfort of his wheelchair and a, a little blanket over. He kind of looks like FDR is the way they, they painted on the, in the <laughs> cartoon. Uh, that's how I picture Michael Keaton coming back and portraying almost a, a Nick Fury type role for the DC comic characters. Interesting. Wow. Cole, I don't know what to think. This I is really the Batman of your youth, Jeffrey. Aren't you excited? Aren't you ecstatic? Here's the thing, Cole. I love the original Batman. I think Michael Keaton is a great Batman and a pretty good Bruce Wayne as well. However, I, as much as I want to, I cannot like Batman Returns. I've Mm. given it so many chances, Cole. On the surface, it seems like a movie that I should like. Um, I know critically it actually had a better score than the original Batman, but I just don't like that sequel to the 1989 Tim Burton-directed Batman. So, in my opinion, Batman Returns is not a superior sequel. Uh, In doing research for other superior sequels, I checked to see what the internet had to say, and there were quite a few websites that seemed to think that Batman Returns was better. Now, no one was exactly singing the praises of Forever or Batman and Robin, but (laughs) <laughs> I think I agree with you that 89, uh, the original, was the best in that first four chunk of Batman movies. Cole, I think that is the perfect segue into what we're going to be talking about here on Screen Cleaning today. So when we return, Cole and I will be taking a closer look at a bunch of movie franchises and talking about is the sequel better than the original? That's all up next here on Screen Cleaning. I've got one more thing to say, and it'll only take me a second. I've got two words that I want you all to remember. They're very important. And if I leave you with anything, I'm going to leave you with these two words. And those two words are, I'm Batman. My first thought when I think of a sequel that exceeds expectations, even high expectations from its original, is in the original Star Wars trilogy when Empire Strikes Back came out and was even better than the original. And that's what we're talking about today on Screen Cleaning Sequels that we think are are even better than the first movie that came out. This is, as a matter of fact, a sequel episode to one of our old podcasts that you can always check out by going to BYURadio.org. It was a couple years ago that we had Rod Gustafson on, as we often do, to talk about superior remakes. Well, today, we're talking about the sequel. And Cole, I think you and I are going to disagree a couple of times throughout our discussion. And I, but I certainly not understand. Yet, right. We agree that Empire um, Strikes Back was at least better than the first one. 
Um, 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 I don't know about that, Cole. Um, <laughs> what about the sixth one? Now, we both like the sixth one, right? Now, Cole, there's certainly lots to be said about the quality of Empire Strikes Back over the quality of the original, right? But for me, so there's it's just so much. There's so much that I like about the original that I would be more likely to revisit the original Star Wars than I would be to watch Empire Strikes Back. Oh boy, but we're to, starting off strong. Again, I might be in the minority on that, but I just I remember watching Star Wars a couple years ago and at the end of the film just throwing my fist in the air and out loud saying, "Yes!" And obviously, you know, that is not a feeling that you get at the end of Empire Strikes Back, but for totally different reasons. Well, it's right? kind of Again, the downer middle because I have that sure. kind of reaction for the sixth one. My my most controversial Star Wars opinion is that I kind of like the sixth one a little better than the fifth, which is commonly considered to be the best. And speaking of remakes as well, sort of tangentially, I like the new special edition ending of the sixth. That's the one where that song, uh, <gasps> when all the, like, as opposed to the Wub Nub Ewok song just kind of taking us to credits, when they kind of pan over the entire galaxy, how they're celebrating the fall of the Empire, that's the ending that makes me put my fist in the air and just celebrate Star Wars. Even the part that where they replace Ghost, uh, oh no 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 Darth no no Vader the uh, the the special editions from before 1999 when we knew that Anakin like when they replaced Anakin the the first special edition run that were in a gold VHS box set that that chunk mm. that okay ending. so you you agree that having Hayden Christensen show up as Ghost Anakin was a horrible idea I I do. Okay. Not one of George Lucas's best. I'm glad to get back on the same page, Cole. Good. Well, here's what I want to do. I've got a list of sequels that I consider to be superior, and I just thought we could trade off talking about them, and we can mention whether we agree or disagree. But uh, this is one where I certainly remember enjoying it as a kid, the, the original, I should say. And there was one scene in particular where these two major characters are getting into a pretend sword fight full with blood and limbs falling off. And you might think I'm talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I'm actually talking about the Adams family. And I actually prefer Adams family values over the Adams family. Adams family values has a better villain it has better subplots and it is just flat out funnier than the original. I mean, all you have to do is say Wednesday and Pugsley go to summer camp and you've got me hooked right there. And Joan Cusack as the gold digger murdering uh, villainous in the film, who's trying to get her grubby little hands on Christopher Lloyd's uncle Fester's uh, inheritance, just perfect casting. So, so much to like here. Peter McNichol is uh, one of the camp counselors who they're going to do their darndest to get Wednesday Adams to smile. And when she does, it's more horrific than anything you see that comes before it. It's just a really funny, clever movie. A lot of these sequels, especially Paramount, they, they did it with uh, the Brady Bunch. And you see it with a lot of these others that know that they can't make a modern telling of a show that today would be construed as kind of silly. What they do is they just make it kind of a fish out of water tale 
and uh, it works perfectly and it plays so well. And that's why I like Adam's Family Values better than the original. Jeff, you're reading my mind talking about Brady Bunch because I was just looking back. I was pretty sure there was a sequel to that, a very Brady sequel, and there was. Oh, yeah. in, in the 90s and early 2000s, we seemed to think that people wanted to see movies where we made fun of shows from the 60s. And I think Adam's Family stands apart from all the others, not only in that they, they, they had two good movies, but that the sequel actually improved because – just all of the other ones were terrible. The Bewitched movie, the Dudley Do-Right movie, both of the Brady Bunch movies, just none of them seemed to get what the Adams Family and, I agree with you, Adams Family values did. I actually kind of like the Brady Bunch movies. But you go ahead, Cole. <laughs> what you, what's, a, what's a sequel that you think is superior to the original? Can we talk about two sequels that are just getting better and better with time because the Toy Story franchise, not only do I think the second is better than the first, but I think the third was even better than the second in that they stepped it up with each progressive sequel. And, you know, mentioning kind of the rut that remaking TV shows into movies were in, uh, Disney sequels were even worse in the 90s and 2000s where every single one was going straight to VHS. And that was originally the plan with Toy Story 2 as well, until they realized, hey, we've got a a good movie on our hands here. Let's release it theatrically. It did so well, and it was my favorite Toy Story. Until then, in 2010, Toy Story 3 came out and one-upped it yet again. I love a franchise that can do that, and and that is to speak no ill of the original. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to find a sequel that's better than the original if the first one wasn't that great to begin with, but all three of these had high quality movies, but the sequels still managed to step it up each time. I love the Toy Story franchise. Cole, that's one that I, I, yeah, I struggle with that one because every time I watch Toy Story, I think, oh, this is the best one. And then I'll turn on Toy Story 2. Oh no, I think this one's the best. And then Toy Story 3, no, okay, I think I like this one the best. Mm -hmm. So I think you've got a great solid trilogy when you just can't decide which one you like better. So I can appreciate that pick for sure. Okay, so this might be a little bit of a controversial pick because I think it's one of the, actually one of the most forgettable uh, in the franchise that I'm about to talk about. Not because of quality, but because I think everything that came after it just improved on the one before I was not a fan of mission impossible. I was certainly not a a fan of mission impossible Two. underrated. These are all films that on the surface look like these should be great. They should at the very least be comfort food, right? The first one was directed by Brian De Palma and has one of the most exciting, uh, uh, scenes in any movie, right? Where he's trying to break into the computer room and he's on the wire and everything. Really cool, right? I just can't take that movie seriously. I certainly can't take Mission Impossible 2 seriously. So you spend the whole movie counting out loud. All right, this is the 50th backflip he's done into kicking somebody in the neck, right? Jumping That's, off of motorbikes, dual-wielding pistols right. while doves fly in the background. Classic, classic John Woo. Right. Now, I certainly don't think that Mission Impossible 3 is the best in the franchise. However, the reason I put it on my list, Cole, is because I think that Mission Impossible 3 is the first good Mission Impossible movie. This one was directed by J.J. Abrams, And this one, 
of any of the movies in the franchise has the best opening, certainly one of the best villains in the franchise, but it definitely has the best opening that gets you on the edge of your seat immediately. And then it doesn't really let up from there. So that's why I have Mission Impossible 3 on my list of sequels that are superior than the original. I like all of the Mission Impossibles, I think, better than you, but I do agree that 3 is a villain. Philip Seymour Hoffman was the best until we got to Mission Impossible 6, which is my favorite in the franchise, and Henry Cavill comes into the stage to really give Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, a run for his money in stunt work and in practical fighting and everything else. Uh, The Mission Impossible series does a couple weird things in that the sixth one, I think, reached the pinnacle. Not a lot of franchises can say that, except also for The Fast and the Furious, where their fifth one was the best that they had done in their entire franchise when you introduce The Rock. And and this is kind of the subcategory. I'm going to mention a few movies that are all kind of my next pick because it turns out that the easiest way to make your sequel better than your original is just add The Rock. Fast and Furious did it with their fifth one, which is, I still think, the best. The G.I. Joe franchise, the first one was okay, But G.I. Joe Retaliation that just adds The Rock is a better movie. Journey to the Center of the Earth, it's fine. The second one, you have The Rock, and it's better. Even Mummy Returns, I enjoy a little bit more than the first Mummy. And it's probably because you have the Scorpion King for the first time, and he gets his own branch. He was so cool in that that he got a spinoff, just like The Rock's Hobbs has done in The Fast and Furious, where Hobbs and Shaw got their own spinoff. The Rock is how you make the sequel better, especially when your franchise wasn't that great to start off with. Cole, I think you may be onto something. A recipe for success, just add Rock, right? And uh, I'm going to say something that might be an exception to your rule on that, but it's one that I wholeheartedly agree with. I think adding The Rock to the Jumanji franchise made it better. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, I think is the best of the three movies that are out there. Sometimes I consider those second two to be more remakes than sequels, but because of some of the continuity tie-ins, and especially in that third one where we had references to, you know, the kid's aunt, and those are sequels, and they added, you got it. Add The Rock, you got a better sequel. Yes! All right, Cole, this next movie I want to mention is actually the third in its franchise, And actually, I think it's the only one worth watching. So National Lampoon came out with National Lampoon's Vacation, where Clark Griswold and family are en route to Wally World, and every bad thing that can happen happens, and it all culminates at Wally World when they get there, and the park is closed for renovations. And things escalate from there. And it's 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 got a funny premise, but it's nowhere near as funny. And it doesn't make you nearly as uncomfortable as does 1989's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. This is, it has sort of become required viewing in my household, Cole, every Christmas. Because, yeah, we can all relate to people that make us uncomfortable or that say things that upset us when all we want to do 
is have the best Christmas ever. All we want to do is keep our cool. And things just escalate even more and more beautifully in this film than in any of the others. And then, of course, you have the obnoxious Randy Quaid, who is so perfectly cast (laughs) as Cousin Eddie. You can just you can relate to how he gets under Chevy Chase's skin and oh, his reactions to Cousin Eddie throughout the movie are priceless. This is a film worth visiting every Christmas. And with a few, you know, content concerns aside, this is a very funny movie, far superior to anything else in that franchise. It's very rare that the Christmas episode, basically, or, you know, the Christmas movie (laughs) gets to be better than some of the originals. But I would contend that Ernest Saves Christmas is actually the best of the Ernest movies as well. And so those are two kind of funny Christmas sequels that I, I agree with you. I think the, nas- the best National Lampoon is also the Christmas one. And uh, yeah, kind of a unique oddity in the world of sequels. I was trying to raise the bar a little bit there. And then Cole, I think you lowered it back down a little bit when you mentioned Ernest I'm, Saves Christmas. <laughs> do you disagree that Ernest Saves Christmas is the best Ernest movie? I'm not saying it's as good as Christmas okay, Vacation. I'll but... give you this, Cole. I'll give you this. I've never seen an Ernest movie in its entirety. Not even Ernest Scared Stupid? I watch that one almost every Halloween. No, and that includes <laughs> the importance of being earnest. I haven't seen that either. Sure. These are, Jeff, that's your <laughs> that's your homework for the week. You got to catch up on your Ernest movies. Ooh, All right, so, um, I, so I can know. take this challenge seriously as well. And I think if it's not Star Wars, the best example of just a great sequel that improves on a really good original... Uh, stepping aside from Ernest for one moment is the Terminator franchise where T2 puts together not only the best action movie of all time, not only the best sequel of all time, maybe the best horror action hybrid of all time, Arnold Schwarzenegger's best movie of all time. I I just got done talking about The Rock and how inserting him into movies, you know, the former wrestler, the big, big guy, you know, that just is that he's kind of our modern day Arnold Schwarzenegger. But what The Rock hasn't been able to do is carry his own franchise. He gets inserted into sequels all the time and he's hilarious and and he's kind of got that cool charisma and and you love to love The Rock. But what he hasn't been able to do is really be an iconic character yet that that headlines his own franchise. And Arnold did it right off the bat with Terminator and upped the game when he got to play the good guy in Terminator 2. Oh, yeah. What a great twist in any franchise, right? And Robert Patrick as the T-1000, That was a career-making role for him. Absolutely. He is so good and so chilling as this villain that I'm looking at his his credits. He didn't really have a ton before that. But boy, since then, he has been in pretty much everything. So that's what I mean when I say a career-making role for him. The Terminator movies are definitely in the action genre, but the unrelentingness of the villain makes me think of the slasher horror movies that I love where, you know, your heroes can run and jump and trip all they want, but just a slow plodding walk of, you know, Jason or, you know, Michael Myers or the Terminators fit in that category as well. Cole, T2 Judgment Day is very likely 
my favorite action movie of all time. So I'm right on board with you on this one. And action and horror both really suffer from just churning out a bunch of sequels that try to up the stakes every time, and and the sequels are just never good. It's always diminishing returns, especially in, in those horror franchises that lasted the entire decade of the 80s and into the 90s. And yet when T2 came out in 1991... It bucked the trend, and it upped the game. Now, Cole, my next pick here, I really struggled with because the original was quite good. And I think it has like a 98 or 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. But the sequel has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, I struggled with it because I love them both so much. But I actually don't revisit the original all that much. I frequently watch and enjoy... Paddington 2. Absolutely. And I'm going to go out there and say, Cole, this is my favorite Hugh Grant performance. I think this is everything that he's done leads up to this moment. It's the peak of his career. And you will never forget seeing Hugh Grant as the villain in this film, especially watching him sing Listen to the Rain go pit pity pat in bright pink colors, along with a bunch of other hardened criminals, similarly dressed, similarly happy and peppy, singing this song together. It is a joy to behold. This is a kid's book if it were done by Wes Anderson, and I sure hope that they make a third one because I would watch it in a heartbeat. Paddington 2, if you want pure joy, you got to watch it. I'm glad that you put this nice feel-good, squishy, you know, teddy bear of a movie in between my two very serious picks because it reminds us that <laughs> that sequels come in all shapes and sizes. But if Terminator 2 isn't, you know, the best sequel that's ever happened, I think The Dark Knight is. It's one of my favorite movies that I've mentioned, you know, once or twice maybe on this program. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But when Christopher Nolan took over the Batman franchise, you know, after those first four, even the first one as good as it was Batman 89 with Michael Keaton, uh, it still doesn't match the realism and and down-to-earthness of the whole Christopher Nolan franchise, Dark Knight Rises included, I guess. But that middle peak was certainly the best version of Batman we have ever seen. And, and there's been a few Batmans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is one that I purposely did not put on my list, Cole, because yeah, I I, <laughs> this is one where I feel like it's a pretty solid trilogy. The first one was it blew me away, Cole, because I had such low expectations for it. And I was so pleasantly surprised when I was forced to go with a group of college friends to see Batman Begins and I became an instant fan I didn't really know anything about Christopher Nolan up to that point, even though I had seen Memento before that, had made no connection that it was the same director and The Dark Knight in my book. And I think in a lot of people's book is considered the greatest superhero movie of all time. And I would certainly agree with that statement. It's one of my favorite just movies of all time. And what I say stands it apart from the others is the sharp decrease in quality that we got with the third one well agree to disagree cole (laughs) agree to disagree i tried to sucker you in jeff i'll keep things civil 
But uh, I just, I like how it was packaged up and ended so perfectly. So Cole, you and I, when we were planning this show, we kept coming back to a certain universe of films, a certain Marvel cinematic universe of films. It's tough when you're thinking of sequels not to consider the franchise that has 23 sequels. Right, right. But I I did want to mention at least one film that I figured that that I consider superior to its original. So what I mean by its original is I'm taking superheroes own movies, their own franchises within that cinematic universe, and I'm taking the one that I like the best. Okay, so the problem with the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me, Cole, and you probably don't hear too many people say that, but I'm somebody that feels this way. Okay, that I feel like once you've seen one, you've seen them all. For me, they kind of just all bleed together, which I know is what a lot of people would want, Cole. They want it to be like a Lord of the Rings experience where you feel like you're just watching one long movie. And I will admit, considering they had different directors for most of these films, it's actually quite a feat that they pulled off. But a lot of these films, I just don't go back and revisit. I just feel like, oh, I've seen it. I don't need to watch it again because they're all the same. But one sequel, and there are certainly individual films that I really, really enjoy. Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man, um, Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man. But then it wasn't until this third film that I really got into the character. I really got into the franchise. And I don't think I'm alone because when I was doing some research online... This film came up on a lot of lists of superior sequels, and it is Thor Ragnarok. I know you take issue with a lot of things that happen in this movie, basically throwing away everything that came before it and just starting from scratch. But I think that's not new to a lot of these franchises, right, Cole? You kind of get rid of what doesn't work and you keep what does work and you try to improve upon it, right? And I feel like Thor Ragnarok in the Everything from the casting, you know, having Kate Blanchett as the villain is never a bad idea, to the directing with Taika Waititi was a genius choice. So there's a lot of good to be had in Thor Ragnarok. And I would argue it's actually the funniest movie in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's why my cho- my choice from the entire 23 films, I lose count, Cole, would be <laughs> Thor Ragnarok as the best sequel. You know, the Thor mini franchise within the big franchise is one of the very few that I don't think the sequels get better and better as they go. My favorite Captain America is the second one. My favorite Iron Man is the third one. My favorite Ant-Man is the second one. My favorite Spider-Man is the second one. But my favorite Thor is the original, and I will stand by that until my dying day. My favorite, though, in the entire franchise is where the whole 23-film arc kind of came to with Avengers Endgame. There's no sequel that sequeled better and brought together everything that, you know, many, many movies had done over the course of time and upped the stakes and brought back a villain and just brought everything that we knew and loved together the way Avengers Endgame did 
truly an end game and truly the way that you want your franchise to go in a direction where you can up the stakes every single time and still make it good and still make it important. Um, I, I think the definition of a better sequel and, and how franchises want to go in a direction of, you know, having better movies each time, there's no better example than the entire MCU especially with their final film, sort of, of the first big phase, Chapter 1 of Marvel, Avengers Endgame. Cole, I can certainly appreciate that that's your opinion, and I hope that you can appreciate the predicament that I find myself in with that film. You should know, Cole, because you were sitting there in the movie theater with me when I pulled out a cherry Coke at the very beginning of the film drank the entire thing and then a minute or an hour and 20 minutes into the movie realized that I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. It's on Disney Plus now. You can pause it five or six times during its three hour runtime and run to the bathroom how often, however often you need to do. You're not limited right, by the, the confines of a movie theater anymore. <laughs> yeah. And part of that, we don't really have choice over, right? Because we just can't go to the movie theaters, at least not to see the new Marvel movie. Oh, man. Which the next one, I believe, is going to be Black Widow, right? It should. Yeah, we should have gotten Black Widow already. Uh, and it's somewhere down the release schedule. They've moved it back a couple times. Why haven't why hasn't Avengers Endgame come back to theaters? I would go see that in a heartbeat. I do. I am starting to see Avengers movies popping up in movie theaters. I'm seeing the original The Avengers movie popping up in a couple of our theaters close by, Cole. That's a but, great uh, idea. Cole, there's... Plenty that I'm sure we don't agree on in terms of superior sequels. I already voiced my opinion about The Empire Strikes Back. I enjoy the original better than that one. And another one that is I seem to be in the minority in, at least if you were to look on lists online or talk to a lot of film school people or even talk to Cole Wissinger, mm. I actually enjoy the original The Godfather more than I do The Godfather Part Two. Both are very, very good, but it's it's kind of there's a there's a dead spot in the first one where I lose interest. And The Godfather 2 has more momentum and keeps me in it the whole time. It's it's interesting, Cole, because I feel like I care less about the characters in the second one, which seems like a silly. A you silly only thing have to, to care about anyway one character. It's it's really I it's the Al Pacino. It, that's that's what you get to know in in Godfather 2. And I really do not like him in The Godfather Part 2. But I do like him in Part 1 because you have this this character that is so reluctant to, you know, go full mafia, right? Because he's the one that Marlon Brando says later on in the film, like, I never wanted this for you, right? I didn't want this life for you. And so you get to see and guess the entire movie. Is he going to make these choices that are going to force him into this world? And the way that it's handled is just marvelous. And I love big, long, epic movies. I don't mind that they take this little detour and he goes and hides out in Italy. I just think it enriches the story. And then it adds to something. Uh, it, it gives him an emotional trauma that really forces him right back into that world and forces him to take matters into his own hands. It's just a great film, and I, I enjoy the characters far better in the first one than I do the second one. 
But we can agree that the third one is the the worst of the trilogy, I guess. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, Cole, I actually think we kept that pretty civil. I'm a little surprised, but I think for the most part, we agreed on a lot of our picks that the sequels are really better than the originals. Generally, though, that's not something that's true. We just wanted to share with our listeners, you know, these films that are an exception to that rule and that we're happy to talk about here on the program. And when we return, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest originals of all time, as well as taking part in a little game, a little trivia contest that I've put together for Cole. We'll see how he does. That's all up next here on Screen Cleaning. about sequels today that is sequels that are better than the originals but not remakes we've already done that episode you can go back into our archive to find where we had a conversation about some of the best remakes that might have improved upon the original source material in in that episode we talked about the planet of the apes remake and also the star trek remake a couple franchises that i think within them also have some better sequels in the new Planet of the Apes movies. I think that War, the third one, is better than Dawn, the second one, which is better than Rise, the first one, all three of which better than all but the very first Planet of the Apes. And then Star Trek, I love the remake, but I think Wrath of Khan, the second Star Trek movie, is still my favorite in that big franchise. I totally agree with your assessment of the Planet of the Apes franchise, the new one. I can't speak to the originals, but the problem with the new ones is I've never felt the need to rewatch any of them again. They, I remember so, them being so good, but yeah, I only ever saw them the one time in theaters. Right, right. But I didn't, I didn't want to let a sequel conversation go by the wayside before mentioning Star Trek because Star Trek has some of the most infamous sequels. I feel like I talked about this just a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to do it again. Every other Star Trek movie seems to be better than the other one. They go up and down and up and down and up and down in quality. It's, it's generally considered the even-numbered ones that are good, including The Wrath of Khan, The Voyage Home. The Undiscovered Country. And then we get into the Next Generation cast movies. Their first one was Generations. And its first sequel, I think, is the best of that clump of movies, First Contact. Uh, which, I guess, uh, if I'm ranking them, it would go Wrath of Khan, then First Contact, then Star Trek 09. Unfortunately, it's been this most recent wave, uh, our newest cast to make Star Trek movies that unfortunately is the only one that doesn't have really a superior sequel. I lamented Star Trek Into Darkness on our remakes show because it just, these these guys didn't know who Khan was. Why did you, uh, your first chance to make a sequel, why just remake the first Star Trek sequel when these guys don't have that past relationship with Khan? Anyway, I went on too long. Jeff, you got a thing you want to do. So, Cole, I thought this would be an interesting little game for us to play because not everything about bad sequels is bad, right? There is some things that there are some things that they get right. And the one thing that I wanted to focus on that these sequels that are not better than the original get right is 
their movie tagline. This is a piece of marketing material, a a little nugget of goodness that these movie studios hope will rope people back into the theaters so that the sequel can make even more money than the original. So I'm going to give you the tagline for the movie, and I want to see if you can guess what the movie is. Okay? Yeah, I'm ready for that. Let's start with the, uh, well, a lot of these are actually horror movies, Cole, so maybe you'll do quite well. Hmm. Um, In fact, most of these are from horror movies. Uh, There's a lot of horror sequels, to be fair to, like, the selection pool that you're pulling from there when there've been like 10 or 11 Freddie and Jason movies, including one where they got together. Uh, it's, it's easy to have some sequels to, to pull from. Sure. And I'll give you a clue on this first one. It's the third in its franchise. Okay. Here's the tagline trapped in time, surrounded by evil, low on gas. (laughs) Is it army of darkness? The third evil dead movie. That is correct, Cole. Very good. <laughs> he has a Very chainsaw good. arm that would be low on gas, and he did travel through time after a couple. Now, and and that franchise is fun because I think the second one, a, a better sequel, also might count a little bit as a remake because it pretty mm-hmm. much is just the first Evil Dead again. It's that third one where he goes back and fights a little sword and sandal style uh, zombie bone. <laughs> and, and that's a bonkers franchise, but there you go. Okay. Now, Cole, I've heard a lot of people say that this movie is actually superior to the original. I have not seen the sequel, so I can't speak to that. Okay. But I do like the marketing for this movie. Here's the tagline. Here they grow again. Hmm. Is this also in the horror genre? Maybe horror comedy? Horror horror comedy. All right. I definitely know then because that would be Gremlins 2, A New Batch. That is correct. Again, very good. Because, you know, yeah, when you, never when you put it. water on the mogwais, they grow, sort of. Sure. <laughs> I've never seen it, but a lot of people say it's better. I know it's a little meta as well. It is funnier but, uh, and more social commentary-y, but it's not scarier. In fact, it's not really scary at all. The first one is the kind okay. of true blend of horror comedy. All right, Cole. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Oh, and that is that it's definitely an inferior sequel to Jaws when they did Jaws. Correct. 2. But genius marketing, right? Do you know what the Kay. tagline was for Jaws 3D? Was it just sharks in 3D? Come see our movie, please. I know what the tagline for Jaws the Revenge was. Ooh, what's that? This time it's personal. <laughs> Which is a little lazy, but maybe by then, maybe way back then, it wasn't cliche at that point. So but, the uh, shark's I, vendetta was personal? Is really? Oh, yeah. He was targeting <laughs> members of the Brody family. Didn't you know this? Gosh, I guess not. You got to watch it. And it's interesting because I know of an interesting anecdote from that film. Michael Caine was interviewed about that movie one time. He's in Jaws the Revenge. And... um he was asked about the film and Michael Caine's response was, I've never seen the film, but I have seen the house that it bought and it's lovely. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was an interesting for him for getting a paycheck and going home. Yeah. All right. Here's the next one. Okay. From the brother of the director of ghost. (laughs) Um, I, 
don't think I have any idea. Okay. Does that sound like a serious tagline to you? It would certainly be a funny movie. It's a spoof, for sure, from the brother of the director of Ghost. <laughs> so I'm, it might help me if I knew who... Is it actually the brother of the director of Ghost? Would that help uh, matters? It's from the brother of the director of Ghost. Was it, was it Scary Movie? No, that but you're like super close. That seems like that sort of thing. It is actually Naked Gun 33 and a third. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. From the brother of the director of Ghost. Wonderful. All right, Cole. You know this. They're back. Oh, which would, of course, be the sequel to They're Here. It's Poltergeist 2. That's right. Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. Um, I I know from just from what I've heard that those two sequels are far inferior to the original. The original is kind of a weird movie. You watch that movie and you're like, I don't know who this movie is for because it's for I'm me, Jeff. Scared. I love it. And I'm a grown man. Oh, it's for you. Okay. I'll I'll tell you for the cool sequel's listener. pretty bad, but I think it's still better than the remake when they made a new Poltergeist. Okay. All right, Cole. He's in town with a few days to kill. Hmm. Get that it? one I'm because, not sure like, of. When you don't have anything to do, you kill time. Yeah. But in oh, this case, yeah. he's actually killing. Okay. What is it, Jeff? <laughs> Predator 2. I would have never guessed that because the first one is out in the jungle, so he's in town. Maybe I would have guessed uh, Jason Goes to Manhattan uh, if I had a guess for that one. Oh, that but... would be a good guess, yeah. Yeah. What All right, got Cole. Predator 2? I think you'll like this one. Oh, yes, there will be blood. Uh, There hasn't been a sequel to There Will Be Blood yet, and so I'm not sure if I know. This might ruffle your feathers because I, even though I think it's inferior to the original, I think you actually preferred it to the original, and it is Saw 2. Oh, sure. Yes, I actually, Saw 2 is my favorite of the Saws. Okay. Uh, I saw it. I wish I hadn't seen it. So let's move on. <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg's um, finest performance. Uh, even better than uh, The Sixth Sense? Uh, yeah, I think so. All right, we can move on. All right, this one is just bonkers. And it's not, It's there's a pretty big clue in it, too. Okay. Look up. Look down. Look out. Here comes the biggest bond of all. This would fall into the category of so bad, it's good. Yeah. Is it a Bond movie? It is. I would be shocked if you got this right, because there are over 20 Bond movies. Well, we're coming up on the 25th. This one sounds just cheesy enough to be a 60s Bond movie. So let's see. It went Dr. No, then From Russia With Love, then Thunderball, Thunder something then gold no gold finger was third uh one of those that i mentioned cole first of all i want to say how impressive it was that you just got those first four movies in the right order that they came out okay um, was it was it one of them it is actually oh yeah okay <laughs> uh if i had to guess i would say thunderball because it's the least of those three what 
Cole, are you kidding me? You got it right. Okay. Thunderball. <laughs> One more time. Look up. Look down. Look out. Here comes the biggest bond of all. Yeah, that's that's it's, the 60s. That's when the franchise started to go down for a second. Okay. Now, these two, I liked the marketing, but I put them aside because these are arguably the better movies in their franchises, right? Okay. So, this one is Just Do It. But it's spelled D-E-U-X. Just do it. Which is, so, that's French for two, right? The Like when yes. you do a redo. Okay, that's clever. Um, I don't have a guess, but I like it. Hot Shots Part Deux. <laughs> Very good. So, and I think that it's better than the original. All right, here's another James Bond one, Cole. But okay. again, I didn't put it in the main category because I feel like it's, Arguably the best Bond movie there is. Oh, so it's a Daniel Craig. Okay, bring it on. Oh, interesting that you say that. Well, I, th- I James... think that you think that, but go ahead. Okay. James Bond is back in action. Everything he touches turns to excitement. Oh, so maybe it's gold member because everything he touches turns to gold would be the play on words? Um... It's gold, gold finger, finger. <laughs> as opposed to the Austin Powers sequel, Goldmember. Okay, sure. Which is not a good movie, by the way. But Goldfinger is arguably the greatest James Bond movie. I grew up watching that film. Great villains, and just finds strikes that right balance of campy and thrilling, and just awesome. Man, with so, twenty four to choose from, I think we also agree what the best Bond sequel is too. Jeff, we have common ground. And in this day and age, that is something that we should really be focused on is finding common ground. But I do want to wrap up the show today, Cole, by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) Cole, when I came across this, I knew I had to share it with you on the show because it's not really tied to the entertainment world, but it does happen on a screen. And so I thought it would be fitting to share this on screen cleaning. So I don't know if you know this, Cole, but when you order a package to be delivered by Amazon, you have the option to enter some additional instructions, right? And if you never change it, if you never change those additional instructions, as far as I understand, That becomes your default set of instructions. So the question put on this order from Amazon was, do we need additional instructions to find this address? And this 13-year-old boy got online when he was having his mother's, his mother's package was being delivered. And he typed in, no, but knock on the door three times and scream abracadabra as loud as you can and run super fast away. <laughs> and the best part is, Cole, that this delivery person followed those instructions to a T. So they've got their nest recording of this delivery woman dropping off the package, knocking on the door three times, shouting, abracadabra, and then turning around and booking it off the porch. What a great sense of humor this 13-year-old has, and I'm glad that they've got that recording 
for all of time now, they will remember that little bit of hilarity. And for us to enjoy it, too. Yes, and I hope that there's a sequel video to that. I hope that this boy comes up (laughs) with other funny instructions to give his delivery people. Well, Cole, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We've had a wonderful time talking about superior sequels on the show today. And don't forget, just as Cole discussed earlier on the program, you can go back and look up all of our past episodes on BYURadio.org, or you can Google Screen Cleaning Podcast and find all of our past episodes there, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we're here each and every week on Screen Cleaning on BYU Radio. Until next time.